is working. With that time, Jersey. Well, that could have gone better. Welcome to Times Ours. We will uh, have a lengthy conversation about the Kansas City Chiefs' loss on Sunday Night Football to the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, there are lots of different things that I'm sure we'll be able to dissect over the course of this episode. And I don't think any of them will necessarily be the wrong thing to focus on. There's so much, and that will be... That'll be the theme of this edition of Times Ours. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of Times Ours is Visa, a network working for everyone. I'm Joshua Briscoe, alongside Nate Taylor, no Seth Kaiser, this afternoon, evening. What time is it? Who cares? Uh, but Nate, you flew to Baltimore for this game, flew back real early this morning to get back to Kansas City, and I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if that trip felt worth it to you, the way that that game unfolded. Sure, it's always great to to see a game in person. Uh, it was my first time at. Uh, let me make sure I get this right. M and T Bank Stadium. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, you know it was it was a classic Sunday night game where mm. the team that you know our listeners root for uh, made some critical errors. There are some lingering issues, and you know, Josh, I don't think in the history of Patrick Mahomes' five-year career, he's ever thrown a soul-crushing interception. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think Sunday's game was the first time that he had thrown an interception that essentially turned the tie. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is most times it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, some team makes a mistake, and Patrick Mahomes and his teammates sort of capitalize on this obviously most notably the Cleveland Browns from the season opener um but the idea that Patrick Mahomes made a mistake he said afterwards that it was probably his worst interception of his career I tend to agree with him Mm -hmm. um and at the same time I don't know how many players on the defensive side of the ball can feel good about their performance yeah. um, from last night. And that's the thing. I mean, I was curious to see kind of where you would go first. I think anytime Mahomes makes a mistake, that's noteworthy. Um, I'm quite obviously going to talk about the play calling late in the game because that's something that I, you know, feel pretty pretty qualified to lose my entire mind over. And then also we have the entire defense, and I've got some – some stats on that, and I'm curious to see where you kind of think they go from here. The funny thing is that they lost by one point on the road against a really good football team yes. in prime time, and that mm-hmm. very rarely is soul-crushing. It is deeply frustrating. But also, I'd like to read, <laughs> I'd like to read a tweet from uh, regular Times R's tweeter and listener at ReadKC on Twitter. Uh, and this was at 7.30 last night. This was this was right as the game was starting. Last time I heard, actually, this might have no, no, no. I'm sorry. This was right after the the episode went out. This was well before the game. This is a couple days before the game. Mm. They tweeted the last time I heard at real MN Chiefs fan this unconcerned about a Chiefs opponent on Times Ours. It ended up being Gruden's victory lap game. <sighs> and I saw that when it happened and thought, huh, that's kind of interesting and probably correct. 
at least in terms of like teams that might have a shred of competence in there. And so if we'd like, I mean, there are a lot of places we can point fingers, but I'd be happy to point a finger at Seth too. Of course. I mean, he's not here yet yeah. again. Yeah. Um, you Cursing know, he, the team. he's not, he's not being as accountable mm. as, uh, as we would like him to be in this locker room, but <laughs> you know, it's, it is, it is fascinating that I got on a plane, Josh, and was really of the mindset that, man, we're going to learn a lot about the Baltimore Ravens. Mm. And we did. We learned plenty. But I do think we learned a lot about the Chiefs, and I just wasn't necessarily expecting that. Because yeah. when it's 35-24, I'm, I'm just of the mindset that, yeah, the, the Ravens threw a couple really nice shots. Um, Lamar sort of, you know, Lamar Jackson you know, sort of elevated his play after a slow start. And this is just the likely outcome. Uh, you know, it's just, you can't really anticipate um, the Chiefs being this bad when they've been so, I won't say dominant over the Ravens, but but the better team. Um, and that includes being on the defensive side of the ball from what we saw a year ago. And this isn't some new scheme that they haven't seen before. Um, but I think for the Chiefs defense now, a lot of this will come down to not only effort and better assignments, but can you get 11 guys on the field who are going to work together on a more consistent level versus one or two guys sort of popping? Hmm. Um, but the Ravens sort of, the Ravens didn't sugarcoat anything. And I think there are two thoughts here. That sort of blow my mind uh, from just a consensus of like what I've seen on Twitter, what the discussion has been this morning uh, from a national media standpoint, um, even people back in Kansas City. And it's just, Josh, I don't know what Steve Spagnuolo could have done last night that really would have made a massive difference outside of maybe playing Juan Thornhill more. Hmm. Um, but schematically, I mean, Mike Dana missed tackles. Chris Jones wasn't great. Frank Clark didn't do enough. Dan Sorensen um, led the team in missed tackles. Uh, it wasn't like there weren't guys in position to make plays. They just didn't. Um, and so for as much of the, I guess, blame and, and vitriol that's been put on Steve Spagnuolo, I, I don't know if that's the wisest you know, and I understand fans are emotional, and that's totally fine. But I'm I'm not sure. sure when I rewatched the game, I went and I go, yeah, like there's Lamar, or there's the ball carrier, or there's a one-on-one matchup when you're trying to cover a tight end or a receiver, and the scheme wasn't beaten. It was just the 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 player for the Ravens performed at a much higher level than the player for the Chiefs on about eighty percent of the snaps. And so, what are you gonna do? <laughs> if you're a coach and you just say, well, some of these same strategies worked previously because those players played better. Uh, this collection did not play well last night. Um, I'm somewhat confused by the Tyron Matthew penalties, but like mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there in the grand scheme of things just because there were a couple times where I think it was first and 25 and second and 24, and they, and they converted both of those. So, I mean... So, I I don't I don't know. 
it'll be fascinating to see what the coaching staff does from here. But I don't really see like I don't really feel like the Chiefs got quote unquote out coached from a defensive standpoint. I just don't think the the players played well. Which to me, I think might actually be more damning because here are a couple of stats that that caught my eye. I think one of these was last night. One of them was from this morning. Uh, this one from Brandon Kylie in uh, in St. Louis. The Chiefs are spending 25% of their 2021 cap on the defensive line. 25% on the defensive line exclusively. That's the highest percentage in the league. Only five other teams are over 18%. They've had three combined tackles for loss during the first two games. Uh, and then uh, and then Kent Swanson from uh, from KCSN tweeted out. Hold on, I'm scrolling. Here we go. Uh, on top of the defensive line spending, they have two top 100 picks up front with Naughty and Saunders, two second-round picks at linebacker. Obviously, Willie Gay didn't play, but it's Gay and Bolton. And then the fifth-highest cap hit at linebacker in the NFL this year in Hitchens. The only place that has not really been a huge, like, gaping weakness has been in the cornerback position, where they have spent no money as long as as long as Spags has been here, at least. And I don't know what you do with that because I, I think people like to blame coaches because it's easier to fire a coach or blame one coach or one coordinator or whatever mm-hmm. for a bunch of losses. It's a lot easier to do that than to blame eight to 15 defensive players. I yes. don't know what you do with all of that invested in a defense that has looked this bad for two games in a row. Yeah, and let's let's pour more salt on the wound, mm-hmm. <laughs> Josh, because you know you, you you sometimes go into games regardless of the outcome as a writer, and you're like, I just I just have to make sure people are aware of the circumstances in the game, and so it's a paragraph that I knew I was going to write whether they won or lost, but now it looks even more glaring based on everything you just said, um, and the idea that yes, it's, it's a lot easier to just blame a multitude of things on one person that is, mm-hmm. that is simplifying things in a way that, you know, isn't really helpful, mm-hmm. but let, but let, I mean, let's, let's just go through the list. Um, left tackle Ron, Ronnie Stain out because of his back and ankle left guard, yep. uh, Tyree Phillips. He was out because of a knee running back. JK Dobbs and Gus Edwards torn ACLs, justice Hill, another running back torn Achilles. Uh, they were out two receivers and Rashad Bateman, a groin and miles Boykin, a hamstring. I mean, now the roster building from the Ravens is is, is impressive because they weren't they they didn't get their doors blown off, mm-hmm. um, but they were playing severely undermanned. Yep, and they still ran the ball essentially at will, even though they were down two scores. And I give a lot of credit to John Harbaugh and Greg Roman for saying, no matter, even though we're down eleven. Our greatest advantage is doing this. Mm. And they executed in a ruthless fashion. And I think the Chiefs defense is still too dependent on turnovers. Yeah. The the idea that, well, somebody's going to make a play on this drive. And that's, that's, that's a good thought to have. But you can't do that all the time. Where it's like... Why don't we just be solid on this second down to make third down a little bit more predictable and then let's tackle somebody or get pressure on the quarterback or not present an easy option. 
if they're passing the football on the opposite side of the field. Um, too often, you're going to need a play like where Mike Hughes, and I think people will forget this, but Mike Hughes makes an excellent play, forces a fumble, and you're like, that is literally as bending and not breaking as you can get up, but we just broke because the ball went right into the other guy's hands for a touchdown. Um, Tyron Matthew coming back was a huge advantage for the Chiefs, uh, but at the same time, he acknowledged when I asked him after the game, I mean, Hollywood Brown is running wide open because there's miscommunication in the back end. So um, for them to invest this much in Chris Jones and for the experiment to have its first like, he looked like a defensive pet tackle playing defensive end. And they and they ran at him constantly. Yeah. Um the blueprint's been out here for a long time. And the Chiefs have tried to mitigate it to some degree. Um guys, I'm not sure if Dan Sorensen and the Cliff are at one one another, but they're mm-hmm. they're they're getting closer. And I'm I'm concerned about that because so much trust is put on Tyron Matthew and Dan Sorensen to kind of interchange all these roles, but I don't know if Sorensen can cover a starting tight end in this league anymore. Oh, I know, I know if he can. I don't know. I don't know if he can. I don't know if he's as sure of a tackler in the open field as he was before. Like the dirtiness. Is it really dirty anymore, Josh? Because mm-hmm. he's 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 whiffing. Mm-hmm. Um, he leads the team in missed tackles so far through two games, um, and he's on the field because he's a great. He's supposed to be a serviceable, above average, hybrid safety linebacker kind of role. Um, as I said on Twitter. It's Frank Clark's first game. He did make some plays, but he did not put pressure on the quarterback. So mm-hmm. we are basically at a standstill of the 2020 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Bolton, when he does touch you, you go down. Mm-hmm. Problem is that the Ravens have a little bit more speed and explosiveness than the Browns showed, and that was sort of um, highlighted in, in the game. Uh I told people that we should give this Chris Jones experiment a month, but everything I just mentioned, I think any coach, any competent team will know that there's holes on this defense when there might be possible solutions. I asked Andy Reid today, why, why did Juan Thornhill play, you know, in the first half or in the first quarter, excuse me. Um, By the way, uh, you want to know who was on the field during Tyron Matthews? Two interceptions, Josh. Was it Juan Thornhill by any chance? Yeah, Juan Thornhill was on the field. Um, Interesting. Was was Juan Thornhill covering the deep the deep middle? Uh-huh. Uh huh. What did it force Lamar to to say? I got I got to fit a ball in a tight window. Yep. Um, you know, Sammy Watkins fell down. That's fine. Uh, but you know who was not on the field for Hollywood Browns uh, touchdown in the middle of the field? Well, I guess Juan Thornhill. Yeah. Um, Andy Reid. And, you know, I rarely do this, but it makes sense um, just because 
What I'm about to read you, ladies and gentlemen, is a quote from Andy Reid today on Monday, September 20th, 2021. Quote, Juan and Dan do certain things the same and a couple things different, but it all kind of equals out. And at that point, statistically and with my eyes, that that that's that's not true anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Reid went on to say, quote, Dan really had the better training camp. Maybe a little bit more consistency there. Uh, we love Juan and where he's getting himself back to where he was during his rookie season. I don't want to take anything away from the effort that he's put forward to the, to do that. Uh, quote, I think we'll take it step by step. I do not want to be overreactionary two games into a 17-game season. But this, this, this subject is about as close as I get. And I know fans were, were screaming at me and it reminded me of you know, being in Baltimore, of course, it reminded me of like, where's Wallace? And just everybody was like, where is Juan Thornhill? And I think if there's any change that you can make immediate, uh, it's to at least have Juan Thornhill be on the field equal amount of times as Dan Sorensen, because at least Juan Thornhill's been a much shorter tackler. He's a better uh, deep defender. He has better ball skills. This is all I got, Josh. Uh, how you feeling, man? Juan Thornhill played 11 snaps in this game, which is 14% of the Chiefs' offensive snaps. And Dan Sorensen played 76, which was 100% of the defensive snaps. If you've got a couple of players that you think do a lot of things similarly, that is a buck-wild split to have. I mean, it's just nonsense. And I think Andy Reid... There were some things in his presser last night and a couple things today that I just think were some of like some of the most paper thin sort of flimsy uh, excuses, explanations, whatever. I mean, like he's not going to tell us what's actually going on most of the time. And I understand that that one's bonkers. You also you mentioned Frank Clark and Chris Jones. I I, I just pulled up the snap counts just a a few minutes ago because I hadn't seen them yet today. And I kind of assumed that Frank Clark was on some sort of a pitch count. He played 70% of the snaps. It's 53 snaps. I don't remember a damn thing that he did. And again, you know, that feels a whole lot like 2021. Uh, Chris Jones, I remember seeing frozen on the outside. He played 75% of the snaps. It's 57 snaps. You, you have a unit where the guys that are supposed to just be you know, a part of the front, a part of the team or whatever are not doing anything in particular. And your playmakers, with the exception of Matthew in the first quarter, and then not really after that, just sort of just just turn into ghosts. I don't know what you do with that. I really don't. Well, if we were trying to solve this problem, and it's a it's a bigger problem than I think we anticipated probably Steve Spagnuolo and his coaching staff. It's like, okay, what can we get better out immediately? Is it tackling? A year ago, they had some issues against the Chargers in week two, and so this is somewhat similar, but they actually improved it in week three when they went to Baltimore and, you know, essentially had Lamar Jackson's worst career game in a, in a primetime setting where I think he only had 97 passing yards. Um so can they improve tackling? Yes and no. I mean, you you, you can only practice it so much. Uh, Spagnuolo basically said that they have one day a week where they they 
wrap up, but they don't take their teammate to the ground. Obviously, you don't want to have an injury um, during the middle of the season during practice. Can you get better in the red zone? Well, Josh, it can't get worse, okay? Um, Eight trips in the red zone for the Browns and or Ravens. Eight touchdowns surrendered. So, technically, they can get better at that. Um, How soon? How quickly? I don't know. Um, Here's talking about tackling in red zone for two years. For two years. They're They're professional football players. They should know how to tackle. Spags is a good defensive coordinator. Why is the red zone so confusing? That's where your defense should be at its best. Yes. That's when it's the hardest for an offense to do something. Yes. and Or an offense has to be so creative that it creates a mismatch in a very quick manner. Uh, or you just need to have a Hall of Fame tight end like Travis Kelsey. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the Ravens did nothing special. In the Again, this is why I say, like, did the Ravens really outcoach the Chiefs? No. Mike Dana is responsible for containment and then he gets sucked in or he stands flat-footed and watches Lamar Jackson beat him in a race that we all know he can't win and so, they came into this year pretty much expecting him to be their second or third defensive end like yes I, I don't really blame Mike Dana you know somewhere on here the 26 million dollars or whatever for Frank Clark has an impact or paying, I haven't heard Jaron Reed do anything. And yet. this you know, is, yes, yes. One you, year, $6 million, frees up Chris Jones to move to the edge. What are we doing? Yep. Um, I I will tell you, uh, we haven't heard a lot of Jaron Reed's name. Uh, he has underwhelmed in two games. I, I'm going to look this up because, you know, it's it's only fair to Jaron Reed. Through while you two- look it up, while you look it up, here's my, here's a, a stupid hot take that's probably not probably not fair but i keep thinking about the the chiefs outbid everybody for juju smith schuster but what if they added two million dollars more to that and said i'm not really worried about jaron reed because we've got two top 100 picks in the interior and tershawn wharton and all this other stuff like is that it's just there yeah i mean talking about talking about brett veach his 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 cap management is a third rail because you're gonna find you know guys who think that you're going to find fans who think that Brett Veach is the worst GM in the history of football, and they're wrong, and you're going to find fans that think that Brett Veach is untouchable whenever the reality is that he has three Hall of Famers on his offense all at once, and that's also not a healthy way to go about it. Uh, Jaron Reed, through two games, and again, just two games, has three tackles, one quarterback hit, no other stats. They've got to figure this out very quickly. Um, Was he their biggest... At least their biggest yes. one-year signing. I mean, yeah, on the defensive side of the ball, he was their biggest yeah. defensive acquisition outside of Nick Bolton, obviously being the second-round pick yeah. uh, the, for the first of two second-round picks. Um, you know, I think Mike Hughes has actually been their best newcomer so far, and um, he pl- he played like twenty. He, hold on, I got the numbers. He he was losing snaps for Rashad Fenton for whatever reason. Uh, he yeah. played. I've lost it now. He played 22 snaps. It's 29% yesterday. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of this is, is uh, perplexing. Um, and I get why fans should be frustrated. Um, the funny part of all of this, and I have to bring some humor in it, is that <laughs> Lamar Jackson had one of those, this is what it felt like in 2019 when he was a unanimous MVP award winner. Mm-hmm. And they 
still only beat you by one point. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to remind people, the Chiefs were in control for a majority of this game. Uh, the best red zone defense the Chiefs have provided all season is quietly on two-point conversion plays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Mahomes, with three minutes left, goes down the field effortless, just, just with effortlessness. And... Um, I get Andy Reid saying, let's not give the ball back to Baltimore. I think big picture wise, some fans are forgetting that Baltimore had one more timeout left. So the reason that they called the running play was to, of course, force Baltimore to call his timeout. You go to third down. I would assume at that point you throw a, you know, highly successful short pass hope somebody breaks the tackle, i.e. Travis Kelsey, and gets a first down, and then you can really milk the clock out before you bring Harrison Bucker out. Now, Andy Reid did not say that that was the strategy. It was actually Patrick Mahomes who acknowledged, mm-hmm. um, yes, we were we were playing for Bucker. Yes, um, he said that in the postgame. He said we were within field goal range, and we were, we were playing for the field goal. Yes, and so... And at that point, one of the veins in my forehead exploded. Now, now here's a little bit of pushback, Josh. Uh, the the Ravens know that too, <laughs> mm. and so the Ravens have been playing a lot of cover three with some cover two principles, or just straight out like, "Where's Tyreek Hill? He's not getting past us." So as you saw on the touchdowns with Pringle and Kelsey, that's that stuff underneath that eventually you know goes for just incredible yak yardage. Um, the Ravens were like, we, we can't give up a touchdown here. We can't do what the Las Vegas Raiders did last year in the same Sunday night primetime slot. Um, so, okay, that's fine. The Chiefs have never seen Harrison Butker miss a game-winning field goal. So there is some assurance as you can get in that sort of scenario. Um but the Ravens, I think, weren't going to... The Ravens were doing a good job, too, of, like, no one's going to get behind us. So playing for the touchdown will be a little bit more difficult because that will force Mahomes to th- maybe throw the ball into a tighter window versus soft coverage where you are supposed to get those five, six-yard plays that maybe go longer depending upon um, how Baltimore, whether they keep you know the Chiefs in bounds or they tackle better in the open field and obviously the Chiefs' defense. <sighs> The second thing that's kind of annoyed me. <laughs> Are you ready, Josh? I'm so ready. So the first thing is, of course, just a reminder. The first thing is, well, I mean, it's just got to be the coach, right? I mean, <laughs> Daniel Sorensen is in the spot and he misses the tackle. Or, I mean, we are rush lane discipline, but Alex Okafor loses containment and there goes Lamar Jackson. And now Anthony Hitchens is missing open tackles. Like, mm-hmm. you know... It appears that Lamar Jackson has nobody to throw to, but then all of a sudden Hollywood Brown's wide open. Cause what? Like, cause the players miscommunicated. It's mostly a player issue on the defensive side of the ball. The second thing that annoyed me is everyone screaming that like, well, you see what? See what John Harbaugh did? See what he did? Kept the ball in Lamar Jackson's hands, which is to completely forget that Lamar Jackson threw a pass, um, short of the sticks, I mind you, to Sammy Watkins on third down. So, sometimes people get so narrowed 
driven or, or narrative driven where it's like, well, you see, it was a fourth down call. NBC's like, you want to go for it? And in a, you know, Friday Night Lights moment, Lamar Jackson's like, hell yeah, which <laughs> I would question if he didn't say hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's a nice, it's a great touch. And by the way, um, even my wife, Holly, acknowledges, uh, takes, take some, take some measure of, of pleasure in knowing that the Baltimore Ravens finally beat the Chiefs and acted like they had won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like really, like jumping around, like we just won the AFC Championship, which again, it, it's September, it's September, fellas. Uh, mm-hmm. But everyone expected Andy to just keep the ball in Patrick's hands, without acknowledging that if you do that, Demarcus Robinson, McCole Hardman, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and yes, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, they're gonna have to either a catch the ball, secure it. Gain yardage, not do anything dumb, and not turn the ball over. Um, Patrick Mahomes can't do everything. Now, granted, that's a lot. I I know I just said something that kind of maybe um, annoyed our listeners. But again, the team you root for has Patrick Mahomes, and yet he can't do everything. So as much as you can say, I want to keep the ball in Patrick's hands, that's not situational football, in my opinion, when you know whatever happens on that second down play, and let's say Clyde gets two yards instead of negative two in the fumble, of course, well, it's still a third and manageable. And yes, you will put the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands, but then he's got to throw it to somebody. <laughs> and that person has to not drop it for an incompletion, which would obviously save clock for the Ravens. They have to catch it. They have to, you know, get upfield if they're quote unquote Demarcus Robinson, who, by the way, Nice improvement between week one and week two, sir. And not turn the ball over. So, um, as great as Mahomes is, I think he's correct in saying that, like, at some point we're going to need Clyde to do a better job at that, obviously, to, to mill clock out. And it, it sort of makes people forget that all the times last year where they trusted Tyreek Hill for all those reasons, and every time he executed well, but that's two teammates and the offensive line, working very well together to put a game away. And it's not just all on the quarterback. Even though we all like to scream, see, he put it in Lamar's hands. And let's not acknowledge that Alejandro Villanueva just moved Chris Jones to Saturn mm-hmm. to make the hole very easy for Lamar to get two yards and, and to, of course, in the game. I would like for Patrick Mahomes to have the ball in his hands to make those decisions in real time. I, I, that that is the that is the choice that I would make because if you say if the the passing window isn't there I trust Patrick Mahomes I know he had an interception that I'm gonna come back to but like I trust him to not make terribly foolish mistakes on a regular basis I trust him to try to find the safe completion even if it's a Travis Kelsey for four yards and see what Kelsey does after that to keep the clock moving etc the other thing that was frustrating me about the late play calling though is that we had a pretty good sample size of what was and wasn't working. Yes. Uh, we, we can go back to the drive that ended in Mahomes' forced interception there. Yep. Where they were up by 11, by the way. Yep. They were up by 11. But do you know where that desperation started? Daryl Williams for negative five. So then you end up out there on second and 15. And Patrick Mahomes flips it to Tyreek Hill for a few yards. And then you get this desperation flip that turns into a pick. And that's not good. 
The Ravens then go score. The Chiefs get the ball back with it early in the fourth quarter, still mm-hmm. up by five points. Mm-hmm. And then you see this same cycle here that leads to a very predictable place. Clyde for four. That's fine. Second and six. Okay. Mahomes converts it. They're going to McCole Hardman. And then it's Clyde for negative two. Now we're talking about second and 12. And Mahomes goes short to Demarcus Robinson. And now it's third and nine. And he can't get to Tyreek Hill. That 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 drive started with a wasted or that 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 series right there started with a wasted play that cost them two yards that took away some of the options that they have to be the best version of this Chiefs offense. And then even after that, then the Ravens go score. The Chiefs are down one, and you make. He has the the excellent pass to Byron Pringle. He gets it to Travis Kelsey. He goes to Kelsey again. They're moving. They're on the thirty or on the thirty two at that point. Yes, they're and they're in field Clyde, goal range. Yes, they, right. And even if Clyde holds onto the ball there, it's a loss of two that sets them back again. And you feel okay about them converting, I suppose. <clears throat> but you want to keep the clock moving. That's fine. You have a minute and a half. But the running game had been had been awful, especially late in the game. The Ravens were not getting fooled by any of that. They were getting, There was contact behind the line of scrimmage. And I, we can make it about Clyde. We can make it about the offensive line, this extremely expensive offensive line that did not do much of a job of creating running lanes all night long, which is a bit concerning. But also, yep. we're, you know, we're at the 30-some minute mark of this show. And it hasn't come up yet because there are other more concerning things. But that's not a great look for everything they invested in that offensive line. But I just don't understand. And, and I, I think we're going to have a moment like this pretty much every game where Andy Reid does something where I go, man, I just feel like you're, you're just you're working too hard whenever one of your options can be, hey, give Pat an RPO. Give him a... a, a uh, I'll make some bleep up Travis Kelsey route to keep an eye on. Get, the, the Ravens did a great job of limiting Tyreek Hill, but let Mahomes make that call in the pocket and trust that he's not going to make stupid decisions. Again, he had maybe the worst pick of his career earlier on, but if Andy Reid thought from the sideline that he thought Mahomes would do that again, I, I don't believe that he did because that would be an incredibly foolish thing to believe of Patrick Mahomes. And I just don't need – you have a chance late in the game – playing for the field goal, playing for the touchdown, whatever, you give me a chance to say Patrick Mahomes can make that call from the pocket or you're going to put it in in Clyde's hands, I'll take the former. I just, I think it's working too hard to try to talk yourself into trying to run the clock out there. Now, one thing... It also wasn't a gimme field goal, by the way. Like, they were in range, but it was not an easy one. Correct. And so, um, schematically, when I rewatched the game, one thing that is somewhat telling is... The Ravens sort of made an adjustment where they spread their linemen and their edge linebackers out a little bit more. They spread them out wide to contain, um, whether it's Daryl Williams or um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. By the way, uh, Jarrett McKinnon had one snap with a touch, and it went really, really well. And then he never got the ball again. Um, Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. So, they want to establish Clyde, but the issue is, is that I think the Ravens did a nice job adjusting in the second half of, of spreading out their defensive linemen and taking away either either stretch runs or clear cutbacks to the other side, which is where he kind of got some yards in the first half. Um, and by spreading them out, it, it was interesting because even on the fumble, 
it's a reach block. And I mean, I'm, again, I'm not the most technical person here, but it, it's sort of a reach block. Mm-hmm. Let me see, make sure I can get there for Joe Tooney, who, by the way, uh, one of the most consistent guards in, in the NFL right now. And he just he just misses it because, uh, God, I'm going to butcher his name. Uh, the, the the rookie who, who forced the fumble. Always. Uh, play- always. The other, the, yes. One of the always. Always playing so wide that he actually has an advantage. Of course, Clyde wants to cut it back instead of just hitting the hole directly based on the alignment. And now we have an issue where, yes, his right hand is right on the ball. Any reset today. Um, the learning lesson for that with Clyde is uh, you, you would take the exchange and you would hold it with two hands, knowing that that's really all the Ravens have um, outside of like giving you a five yard loss. Like the, the best option for them is to go hunting for the football. Um, and you give credit to OA for his 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 mindfulness and his awareness uh to know that he was in a position to make that play happen. And he that reco- drives me freaking crazy, by the way. I don't have any other analysis other than that. That, that evaluation drives me nuts. Like, yeah, you should have held the ball with two hands. You yep. didn't, and then you lost the game. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. That, and that's, and that's exactly what Holly said this, uh, this, this morning. Just what did Andy Reese say? Well, you know, you, you just got to hold the ball with two hands. And then you rewatch the, the tape and you're like, yeah, he's transferring it. He has one, he has the ball in one arm. Because he's he's going to make a cutback move. He's he's in his mo. He's he's in his natural, consistent behavior on tape, as Eric Bieniemy would would say, and uh and yeah, the ball the ball is exposed a little bit, not fully. He's not running like Demarcus Robinson mm-hmm. on a punt return, but it is it is available for such an opportunity. Uh, away also recovers the fumble. It's just a it's a great. I mean. It's one, and there's a bigger picture I want to get to here in a little bit, Josh. But I mean, a rookie to have the awareness to do that, to also uh, be the person who tackled and spun Patrick Mahomes because I guess he had watched on film tackling Patrick Mahomes conventionally doesn't work because he's going to get the ball mm-hmm. off anyway. So mm-hmm. you got to tackle him and kind of do this Aaron Donald move where he like twist you around. Shout out to Carson Wentz because I don't know how you got up off the field, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It's like, damn, Carson Wentz isn't going to be healthy in November. I know this. You know this. Everybody knows this. But it's both ankles. It's but he just he just holds on to the ball. And it's like, Aaron Donald's going to roll you up because you don't, don't want to go down. Just just go down, man. But anyway, uh, Away does a very similar move where he tackles him. And he sort of does this rodeo spin. And Mahomes obviously throws the pick uh, because he hasn't been tackled like that really um, in that particular way, I don't believe, since Aaron Donald, who, by the way, forced mm-hmm. two fumbles and has been the only the only defensive player ever to force Mahomes to fumble the ball twice in one game. All this is to say is that at some point, they are going to need to get two yards, three yards, four yards on the ground. The problem with that is you're probably going to need to have some different formations because spreading it wide from the shotgun gives the defense the ability to tee off in a way that if you were in a more too tight end traditional set, the defense has to be a little bit more hesitant. Mm. Um, And so if you're going to have, this is one of those questions where if you're going to have four tight ends on the active roster, and you want to run the ball to run some clock, 
I'd have a little bit more surety, Josh, that it would be better if if maybe Patrick was under center handing the ball off versus it not being an RPO play, which I think is a correct call by you, it not being some bubble screen in the open field and you just handing the ball off to Clyde and the defense sort of anticipating that versus more, more multiple options or scenarios when you're running out of a more too wide, too tight end traditional set, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's one of the things that they were supposed to do more of coming into this year with the new offensive line. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to be as tricky. You can just sort of line up and do the thing that you want to do. And yep. We haven't seen that yet. Um, by the way, I just was curious. Owe was drafted with a 31st overall pick this year, uh, which the Chiefs did give the Ravens for Orlando. Oh, Friday I didn't year. even think about that. Yeah, wow. Just, I didn't even think about that last that night. Yeah. Ooh. I'm not, you know, that's not, I'm not saying the Chiefs lost the trade or whatever, but no. I'm saying that, that's ha- that that is true. What I just what, said is true. One of, one of the saddest things is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's supposed to be a Orlando Brown returns to Baltimore and dominates the Ravens story. And that evaporated last night. Yeah. So you'll never read that on the athletic.com. Even though he played really, really well. Like Orlando Brown might have had the greatest jump on offense between week one and week two. Uh, mm-hmm. Dude was excellent. And, you know, may have known all the schemes available that the Ravens were going to show. But mm-hmm. look, he returned to his, you know, football hometown essentially because he watched his father. Uh, play all those years for the original Ravens, as he likes to call them. Um, but you'll, but ladies and gentlemen, you'll never read that in the Athletic because chaos ensues. And as I talk to a few friends in this industry, never forget, ladies and gentlemen, on the road specifically, you need chaos to beat Patrick Mahomes in a primetime mm-hmm. game. Would you like for me to? To, to to share to share Josh. <laughs> is this your big picture thing? This is my big picture things. Okay, let me let me sneak in real quick here just because I have it open that I can close this tab. Uh the Chiefs average 0.54 EPA per play throwing the ball and Uh-oh. negative 0.23 Uh-oh. running the ball. Yikes. And it's gonna be that way forever. It's gonna be that way forever, and I'm going to die reading the EPA box score and no one nothing's ever gonna change. That's all. <laughs> And most of those positive rushing EPA, by the way, came from that Tyreek Hill run. Ooh, the, uh, yeah, TED talk. The, yeah, the the end around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to add to that, man, um, they just they just have not figured out Clyde in a manner that we thought they would. Like Clyde was supposed we? to. Oh. Hold on, we. <laughs> I, I knew I knew you I knew you take it home. Um I'm a, I'm a name at your mouth. Uh yes, Josh, we or the Chiefs organization thought sure. that he was gonna open up more things, that there was that he was gonna be this great receiver, that he was gonna be this scat bat, that he was going to be someone who was elusive, and he does show those tendencies from time to time, those qualities I should say. Um But yeah, just the, the consistency has not been there and What's most damning is when they need to run the ball, whether it's in a situation late in the game or in the red zone, the success rate is not high. Actually, the success rate is higher with Daryl Williams. That is statistically a fact. And maybe if we're in a similar situation against the Chargers on Sunday, 
I wonder will Daryl Williams and or Jarrett McKinnon be in that situation versus Clyde Edwards Alaire? Because yes, we're getting into almost the twentieth game of his career and we're not seeing marketable improvement. Oh, if, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go no, ahead. You, no, 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 I, go. No, I, I want you to get it off. Get it off. Say, get it out your system. The 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 fact that it's hard to find a market difference between Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Darrell Williams and uh, and Jarek McKinnon is exactly the point. Yep. Like the most effective running back the Chiefs have had in the Andy Reid era or the, the Patrick Mahomes era, I should say was Damian Williams, a dude who they pulled off a scrap heap because he could run good routes, and he almost won Super Bowl MVP. MVP. Yeah. It, this it, it, is in the my, point. In, in my personal record book, he kind of did win the Super Bowl MVP. This is, this is the whole point. This is whenever, whenever I talk, because again, you know. He's, co- he's co-Super Bowl MVP. Let's be, let's be fair to Mahomes. Mahomes was, Mahomes was incredible, remarkable, like career altering performance in the fourth quarter. But again, Patrick Mahomes can't do everything. And I think it would it would have been fair if he and Damian Williams were co MVPs. But but sure. But 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 you know, put a nail in this coffin of your point, Josh. <laughs> running games collectively can impact games, although significantly less than the running game usually does, unless you were literally the Ravens last night. But individual running backs with incredibly few low single-digit exceptions, and even those guys, it's typically in a one- or two-year window, it is incredibly difficult for an individual running back to move the needle. What might move the needle, whenever you, you know people talked about, oh, the Chiefs can make a luxury pick. They just won the Super Bowl. Draft a running back. Who cares? Well, I care now because we're talking about this defense. It simply does not have enough depth or talent. And you could have made a pick at 32 that would have been an investment in your defense's long-term health. You could have, and, and you can go back and look at the fact that Andy Reid has had great performances from running backs who are not acquired as premium assets. And it's not really Clyde's fault. It, you're, you're doing it within this... Within in the scheme you're doing with the offensive line that you have in front of you it's so dependent on all of that and the idea that Clyde was going to come be some like offense opener was was unfair to him from the jump and and now we're here and I think we're probably approaching a a, a bit of a a bit of an overpass or whatever where maybe more people are going to understand that which is kind of unfortunate that like a fluky fumble is going to probably be the thing that has him fall out of favor with some people whenever the whole issue is never about Clyde as a running back or whatever it's about the fact that Damian Williams is the best running back Patrick Mahomes has had the most productive running back he's had and that the difference between those guys is super minimal but the cost is incredibly incredibly large there's a huge gulf there where those that pick could have been used in a better spot we're probably going to have a similar conversation about linebackers at some point too and you know i i i don't i i don't want to like harp on it for the rest of the season so maybe this will be the game that we get to talk about it but it's really frustrating to me because i always felt it was really obvious and lots of people didn't um kareem hunt's probably Number Good two, call. yeah, yeah, yeah. Number Absolutely. two and or number one, depending on your on your opinion. Um, no, you're right. I, Kareem Hunt was was the most talented running back. Damian Williams had the biggest moments, impact. I guess. Yeah, he had yeah, well, impact. He had the biggest impact, unquestionable. You're you're 100 right about about Hunt though. Yeah, but so it's it's 
Kareem Hunt, Damian Williams, depending on your preference. And then it, you know, we'll just, we'll see where it goes from here. Uh, I just love that we're having this conversation. It's Seth is not here. Oh, um, <laughs> but also um, the Chiefs drafted Clyde because, you know, he was a skillful player under a cost controlled, maybe fifth year option at a running back position who was supposed to have more production based on his potential so far. So, hey, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, the draft is a mystery, as some would say. Mm-hmm. Um, Here's where things... Here, here's where I would just want to remind fans that, yes, you root for a team that has Patrick Mahomes. And, yes, I expect... You know, it actually didn't get too bad from the Tuscaloosa fan category, in my opinion. Like, if you want to blame Spagnuolo, that's fine. If you want to put the ball on Patrick Mahomes, in Patrick Mahomes' hands and only Patrick Mahomes' hands, totally cool. I mean, I get it. I mean, he's he's excellent. Just remind yourself. And I put this in my story in The Athletic. Um, you know, the Chiefs had won 11 straight road games. Um, the last time they had lost a road game was in... Tennessee, it was November 10th, 2019. I'll never forget that day mm-hmm. because it was the most absurd collapse I've ever seen in person at a football yeah. game. Yeah. Um, and it was also the last time the Chiefs lost before they went on to become Super Bowl champions. So, you know, some of these bookmarks are easy for me to remember for obvious reasons. All this is to say is when the Chiefs lose on the road in the Mahomes era, usually crazy things happen and not only is it a the chiefs only play weird games i mean that's that's just a given ladies and gentlemen mm-hmm. i mean you know when kickoff occurs uh it's gonna get weird yeah it was chaotic last night because mahomes does something that he usually doesn't do which is obviously the interception um clyde edwards alaire has his first fumble of his career so even though he hasn't been what you thought he was at least he had great ball security up until this point um all of a sudden lamar jackson turns into superman after looking like he was going to um become another one-dimensional you know like man like just didn't really play the well didn't really play that well in a primetime game you know across from patrick mahomes on the sideline all of a sudden he becomes superman uh and I just need to remind people that, like, there was a botch nap in Tennessee. <laughs> they played horrible defense against Ryan Tannehill. And by the way, we didn't even know Ryan Tannehill was good back then. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a blocked punt, or excuse me, a blocked field goal in which Harrison Bucker maybe would have put the game into overtime. Again, Harrison Bucker has never missed a game-winning field goal or maybe even a game-tying field goal for that matter. Hey, but, hey, you can't get it if you can't get it through the line because, you know, you don't block somebody, and that was Blake Bell's fault at the time and Jamie Winchester's fault then then well, yeah, yeah. the the Ravens go crazy the the Titans go crazy again the most exhilarating football game I have ever seen ladies and gentlemen in the Coliseum there were defensive touchdowns Marcus Peters is involved again Aaron Donald basically took how nice can I be, Josh? I mean, they they put Cam Irving on Aaron Donald. Okay, like, yeah. like come on. So that game is obviously the most explosive game in, in regular season NFL history. Both teams score in the fifties. Um, Mahomes has to throw up a desperation shot, but you need 
utter chaos. Perhaps the most conventional, like, huh, the other team was just better? Um, road game was in Seattle in the 2018 season towards December where I mm. thought, oh, man, the defense just isn't good. And Russell Wilson is like a Hall of Famer. And, like, they started to rookie cornerbacks against Russell Wilson in prime time. And, mm. you know, like, you get beat. But, like, even... You know, even that game got a little hairy at the end just because Mahomes was once again trying to rally the team again. But all this is to say is that you lost by one point playing, what, a C-plus game? And the Ravens I, and the yeah. Ravens doing excellent things when they absolutely had to get excellent things. The Tennessee Titans won that game by three points even though they won the entire fourth quarter. <laughs> The Chiefs don't score a single point against the Baltimore Ravens in the fourth quarter Sunday night, and they only lose by one. Um, the, the Los Angeles Rams had to score 54. So take a deep breath and acknowledge that in a lot of ways, yes, we had beaten Wink Martindale to death. He'd finally mm-hmm. given in. He gave mm-hmm. in. Maybe I should stop telling coaches what to do. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. But some of this stuff is not that hard. But at the same time, you need utter chaos. You need things outside of Mahomes to beat a Mahomes-led team when he's healthy. Um, and so, yes, people will always acknowledge, and we wrote about this, Josh. Like, hey, like, well, you know, the that, thir- that 13-9 game between the, uh, the Colts. I mean, that Ugh. was just... That was, they were just running all over him. Well, Patrick was hurt that day. And he got and he got hurt because Cam Irving again wasn't great. And Justin Houston got, you know, kind of went in the time machine and came back out. But in all these primetime games, you need, like, things that are very unconventional, very chaotic. And it was really fascinating to be in a building where all 70,000 people were like, oh, my God, we beat the Chiefs. Like, what? Mm. He fumbles? What? How? How did we just win? Like, even Lamar Jackson's like, damn, did we just win? I think we just won the game. Like, it's... Mahomes plays excellent. He does one mistake, and then chaos ensues, and that's ultimately what you need to beat the Chiefs, even when they don't play their best. And that's wild to really think about from a big-picture standpoint, as we still got 15 of these more games left to go. It's a nice little pick me up at the end. I, I think that's uh, I think that's a good place to to wrap it up. But we'll we'll do another episode coming up. Uh, it's Chargers next, right? It's been yes. a long yes. couple days, uh, which will be interesting for a variety of reasons. Because Justin Herbert looks great, and uh, I don't know, maybe Austin Eckler will run for five hundred yards. We'll we'll figure that out then. Uh, but if you want to read Nate's post game story up on theAthletic.com, that's right there. You can follow him on Twitter. At by Nate Taylor, I am at JB Briscoe. That's a pretty good send off, Nate. But if you got one more thing to send people with, now's the time. I know that Chiefs fans have put it upon my shoulders to get Juan Thornhill on the field. So <laughs> best believe, ladies and gentlemen, I will do the Lord's work. I will be your your servant in asking everybody <laughs> one arrowhead drive. Why is Thorn? Why is Juan Thornhill not playing? Where's Juan? Where's Juan? Just you know, just one of the better defenders who appears to be healthy. Where in the world is Juan Thornhill? So yes, I'll ask it Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. 
If uh, if somebody listening right now wants to make a little Photoshop of him wearing a striped red and white sweater and hat and just caption it, where's Wando, I would also be okay with that. Excellent. <laughs>